What we really did with the world of the graphic novel is, is we, we separated into four categories. So we have the superhero genre, um, which is we, we try to cover uh, the, the various publishing houses, both DC and Marvel. Uh, then we also took uh, another branch, which is more traditional fiction in the graphic novel world. And this is the, the fantasy, the science fiction, the noir, uh, murder mystery, etc. Uh, but then we also have uh, more of a realistic bent in truth and pictures, and a lot of this is biographical in nature, uh, although we do have, uh, like the comic book history of comic books, and uh, 9-11, a retrospective, where uh, a variety of artists and writers basically uh, took a look at the 9-11 the incident. And we also have action philosophers, which basically is a, is a fun kind of romp through philosophy and who the various historical Western philosophers were, how they came up with their ideas and what their ideas really were about. And then finally, we wanted to take a look at graphic novels in kind of a world context. And so we have works from, from France, from uh, the, what was the old Soviet bloc. And of course, you can't have graphic novels without Japanese manga. So we, we have uh, Akira, uh, which is a good example of that. I see over here, we've got, you've got a representative of Harvey Picar's American Splendor. There are just certain artists and writers that it's very difficult to discuss the graphic novel form without talking about Harvey. I mean, here is a look that's, that's very down-to-earth. These were drawn from his life experiences in the Midwest. And it shows you, you know, a, a real difference between what most people think of in comics and graphic novels, which is the superhero, but yet what else is out there, which is, you know, a, a look at this fellow's life uh, in and around that area. How would you say that the comic book that I growing up in the 60s is different from the kinds of things you've got here? Well, I, I think in the 60s we were still temporarily recovering from the, the, the kind of that comic book code authority. So you have this, this self-imposed kind of restriction on what can be said and what can be shown in a comic book. And it wasn't until after that that I think you really started to get more expression, more mature theme uh, in storytelling in a lot of the works that we have here. Uh, I, I don't believe any of these really could have been done in the 60s. People were starting to try to push the envelope, but we certainly would not have gotten uh, the, the same mature uh, kind of contents. And uh, as the, the people who have grown up with comic books age, they, they look for that. It's, I think, to the, the benefit of the, the comic book publishers to mature along with their audience. There we have the difference between you know, 60s to you now 2013. Stan Lee or DC? Uh, definitely Stanley. <laughs> what was really different about Stan Lee's approach? Stan Lee has uh, kind of a very unique approach to storytelling. Uh, and I think part of people's enamorment and, and their kind of deification of Stan Lee comes from the fact of his consistency, his ability to constantly put out uh, 
quality works and, and take an idea and rejuvenate it in multiple forms and uh, make it entertaining. And that level of, of you know, output is, is something you've just got to marvel at. Uh, but I, I heard that. Something you have to marvel at. <laughs> yeah. The, I think the key, though, is, is that while Stan Lee may be considered a great and a god in the comic book community world, each generation, I think, has put out its own great storytellers. We can't forget Alan Moore. We can't forget, you know, Neil Gaiman. Uh, the, the people that have come after Stanley have done just as much to contribute to the storytelling and the, the universes as Stanley himself have. I see, looking in this case, that there's a copy of Moore and Gibbons' Watchmen, and I've sort of have always felt that's, if you will, a graphic novel kind of approach to what you'd see in some of the literary works of William Gibson. When I think of William Gibson, I have a tendency to automatically jump to a very uh, cyberpunk uh, style uh, genre. But in a sense, I mean, what cyberpunk does is it does kind of deconstruct society. So in a sense, yeah, uh, what Moore and and Gibbons have done with Watchmen is they've taken the superhero and they've deconstructed it. And uh, most people consider that to be a seminal, you know, work of, of the graphic novel environment. A lot of people are fans of Moore. Some might say that he's overrated, uh, but nonetheless, he's an important name, and you have to to recognize uh, the work that he's done. People interact with graphic novels differently than they do a a written novel, don't they? Well, yeah, based off of its its format, I think you kind of have to. If I'm reading a novel and the prose is so flowerful uh, that, you know, it takes 17 sentences to simply describe a chair. Uh, I can kind of skim over that, and, and I can get back to what I consider to be more of the meat of the narrative. With the graphic novel, you can't divorce the, the graphic uh, elements or the writing and get uh, the, the, the complete gist of, of what's being done. A good example of that would be uh, Alan Moore's work in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen series, where there is so much that is is buried into the artwork of the panels that you could spend hours just searching for all of the little uh, hidden references that are being made. You have to take more time to absorb both the graphic aspect of it uh, and, and you know, include in that, that narrative of the, you know, the speech bubbles or the thought bubbles. It's not as easy to just quickly skim through and, and get the same level of immersion with. So one of the differences that you have between the, the traditional novel and the graphic novel is uh, the ability for the author and artist to get across their, their vision in and of itself. So in a novel, you might have you know, three pages of, of words and to describe, you know, a particular scene or setting or this such. But the author only has those words to work with. And no matter how uh, specific they get in their description, it's always open to an interpretation in our minds. 
the key difference with the graphic novel is, is it's a lot like a movie. The artist has the ability uh, through pen and ink to lay out exactly what they want you to see. So if there is, you know, a space battle with 300 ships, they can lay that out exactly as they see it in their mind on the page. And they know that the, the reader then is seeing exactly what they're envisioning. In essence, uh, a graphic novel is a great way to tell a story without having some of the restrictions that you'd have in movie making where you know everything comes to a budget and you have special effects. But it, get, it gives you that, that free form that a novel would where you can literally put anything down on a page. I sort of get the sense with a graphic novel that, as you say, it's not a linear read as much as study a panel, go on to the next one. Yeah, it, it very much is. Uh, it's it's, it's a, a more intimate experience in some cases, I think, than a novel because you're, you're being engaged by both the artist and the writer. And you really, uh, I think, to get the, the full pleasure and enjoyment out of it, you, you have to take the time to, to really appreciate the artist's work and really kind of follow the story along in your head. What are some of the other exhibits that the library has done recently that are, if you will, part of the pop culture? Um, well, it's, it's kind of uh, pop culture pre-now, but uh, prior to the, the graphic novel exhibit, we had an exhibit on Zines, which now with the advent of the Internet, obviously you don't see as much. There's, there's a much more cost-effective means of, of getting your message out there. But essentially, Zines were amateur-produced magazines. Uh, these could be done very easily on a mimeograph in your basement, copy machine. didn't matter what your resources were. They could easily be produced and, and gotten out to your target audience. They were not necessarily something, though, that would have had a large enough audience that a, a regular publisher would have taken interest in them. Um, and this was very much pop culture for the time. You had a lot of voices that were coming out wanting to express themselves, needing a format to do it in, and this was an accessible format. Now, you and I are both IT guys. When you talk about Zines, I start thinking about some of the early... BBS? BBS and hackers. Yeah, uh, and, and that, was, that was something that I grew up with. Um, but there we, we get that, that change. At one point in time, design would have been the medium. But then I recall you know, places like Dragon Citadel and Twisted Towers, which were local or state-run bulletin board systems. You had RhymeNet. And at this point in time, it, it became easier now to, to start having those conversations in an electronic format. This case over here, that we're, we're obviously at the exhibit that I'm pointing at, is one where you've got all sorts of international things in it. Are there any kind of cultural differences that, that you see in the artwork or the relationship between the writing and the artwork, depending on the different culture? Um, yeah, I, 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 most definitely there are subtle to uh, very extreme differences, either in a graphic style or, or in the writing style. Uh, for anybody who's familiar with the, the Japanese uh, manga, uh, the, the facial features, specifically the eyes and the mouth, uh, these represent uh, cultural preferences in Japan, the, the big eyes being more friendly, more approachable, uh, and the, the smaller mouth. Each, each culture has 
various aspects that they want to either enhance or, or minimize in the work that they do. And then I think it certainly comes through uh, in, in both the art and, and the narrative of the graphic novel. I, French, unfortunately, is not a language that I speak fluently, uh, and I, I think we lose some of it in the translation, but if you take a look at, you know, Asterisk and Obelisk or Tintin, um, you have these these works that uh, have a, a different sense of adventure than what we would think of. And uh, I, I think that's noticeable as well. Um, we might be more, you know, I don't know, drawn to doing a, a G.I. Joe figure. They might like, you know, Herg's you know, Tintin more as, as an iconic, this is what we think of as a hero. So there are definitely differences. Anything you want to say that I haven't asked you? The, the library houses an extremely broad collection uh, with a great deal of depth on, you know, a plethora of subjects. And we, we take the time and opportunity to highlight things like the graphic novel collection to show uh, you know, students and, and those who are considering research just what resources they have at their fingertips. But this is just such a very tiny tip of the iceberg. And hopefully this will inspire uh, various people to, to explore further. Thank you, Devin. You're welcome.